0: This is One Hate Minute.
1: drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven you. Robbery, homicides, take it. Give me all you got! This and Give me all you got!
0: I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me is the... Locomotive engine <laughs> that drives Australian Online and uh, and, and former uh, publishing awesome uh, publication, Filmic Magazine. Mister Travis Johnson. Hello, sir.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me,
0: mate. Thank you so much for being a part of the show.
1: I, I am excited. I am, I am genuinely excited. This is going to be so much fun.
0: Oh, it is. Look, and it's we're we're in the guts of uh we're in the guts of this behemoth exercise the 43rd episode of heat one heat minute you're familiar with heat
1: i've, I've seen heat a few times um, once or I, twice yeah uh, well that came out in, in 1995 of course yes uh, when i was 19 um, ah. so that was just before i went to film school oh man uh but after i was a confirmed sort of film nut because you know <laughs> that those seems to get planted early um so it was a really exciting movie for me uh, when it came out because i wasn't totally familiar with Michael Mann as a filmmaker like I might have seen one or two of his films and you know you of course you know who de Niro and Pacino are because <laughs> you can't not
0: and if you're a film nut you've like
1: You've, you've seen The Godfather, and you've seen Taxi Driver, and you've seen Dog, Dog Day, Day Afternoon, afternoon. And, and so on and so forth. And, and by that stage, you've seen like Sea of Love and, uh, <laughs> and Midnight Run, and Christ knows <laughs> what.
0: Oh my God! You know? Now that is a double feature: oh. Sea of Love and Midnight Run.
1: Oh man! Now I want to do that. <laughs> That'd be rad. <laughs> That'd be good.
0: Which one like, do you do first? Um, do you get all creepy and sexy with Sea of Love, and yeah, then yeah, just I think r- so
1: because <laughs> then you have Midnight Run to kind of take D- you out of that. Yeah. But because remember, um, Sea of Love was Pacino's big comeback after. Uh, Revolution, was it Revolution?
0: Uh, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, where it, it's an American Civil War movie and that, that died and it took oh, the to yes. studio and he yes. took like four years off because I think that was 85 and then he came back and did Sea of Love and everyone's like, oh, Pacino's back and Pacino's having sex. <laughs> oh, oh Lord.
0: Oh, Lordy, Lordy and Ellen Barkin, holy bejesus.
1: Oh, 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 my Lord. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you kind of know who these guys are and you kind of have an idea this is going to be a big movie and then you go and see it. And it, it knocked a hole through me. I mean, this, this is one of the greatest films ever made. And I think that's inarguable. It's certainly one of the greatest crime movies ever made. Yeah. Like within the genre. Like, and you oh, are
0: within, within the genre, you, you it's not even a conversation. But I think I think if anyone's listening who's listened to 43 episodes, by the time you get to episode 160, if we haven't convinced you, then we haven't been doing a very good job. To be brutally honest, but yeah, I, I would. Uh, m- my mind is that with every additional viewing and every time that I get to sit down at this mic with mm. someone such as yourself, I am just more amazed at just the level of pristine execution mm. to deliver it this is, movie.
1: It's the texture. Um, it's the fabric um, I mean obviously the, the the actual sort of the main plot is amazing and the performances are incredible and the technical acumen uh, which goes into the shooting and the staging of the shootings <laughs> <laughs>
0: the shooting and the shooting yeah
1: you know shooting the shootings is pretty great but um, what continues to impress me and it's something which uh, you see in all of Michael Mann's films some of them more than others um, I don't think Black Hat <laughs> is a particularly <laughs> great example it's it's, it's it's the one <laughs> film that I
0: there's only um uh there's only like one person I think. There's an amazing uh um uh, film scholar, uh lecturer Anna Zenis joined me um yeah. for an episode of One Heat Minute and She went I, to bat for black. She said she even had, like w- we only skated past it, like just ever so ever so quickly. Um but she was like, Look, I think there are some se- uh Salvageable things in Black Hat, and I was like, okay, this is the one heat minute podcast. We don't want to get bogged down in Black mm. Hat, so let's just move away. But I,
1: I saw it uh, maybe six weeks ago because it hit Netflix or Stan, one of the streaming services, mm. and I watched it, and it's not terrible, but no. I, I remember almost nothing about it. Like it, it <laughs> skated <laughs> off the surface of my brain, like <laughs> ping. Yeah, See ya. Well, like like a bird hitting an airplane windshield. <laughs> just ding Just gone. Um, but, but you know, if that's your worst film, you're doing okay. Absolutely.
0: You know, well, look, Travis, you know the drill. Guys, you're listening along. Um, thank you for being a part of this. We are going to watch, as we always do, a Minute 43, which is the not the Definitive Edition. Now, folks, if you're watching along with the Definitive Edition at home, it is not going to be synced up if you're listening to this. We are watching the original theatrical cut on the old Warner Brothers Blu-ray, but that's okay. Um, we'll watch it now again, and then we can talk through it.
1: I actually watched the Definitive, definitive Edition. It's so a so might... night... <laughs> to prep for this my (laughs) notes may be inaccurate
0: that's okay that's alright if your notes are slightly that's why we like to watch it together so we can make sure that we're on point but this is the original theatrical version it might just be a second or two of shaving that you miss, but yep. it's just not precise. So, in the spirit of Michael Mann, let's be precise. This is where we're at.
1: I will what say, on the definitive edition, like the scene changes match up perfectly. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> nice. There's
0: been a few. There's been a few that like you couldn't <laughs> write it. It just finishes with a perfect scene change. Wow, that's that's a good minute. Um, all right, so we're going to watch this. This is 42 minutes. Cue it up if you're watching at home, and uh, then Travis and I are going to come back and talk about. It.
1: Yeah, this is Roger Benson. I'm supposed to collect something. Give me your number and somebody will call you right back from a different line. 818-133-6089. Podríamos aplicar esta cantidad, es suficiente.
0: Trav, we arrive. We kick this off with the fallout from Donald Breeden, played by the awesome Dennis Haysbert. Pre twenty four. Yes. Pre twenty four. Before he was presidential, right around the time he was Pedro Serrano, we see him with Bud Court.
1: Yeah, Bud Court, the, uh, the kid from Howard and Maud. <laughs> the kid
0: from Howard and Maud. He grew up and he became an asshole. <laughs> yeah.
1: And he played uh, he played the homeless man possessed by God to play skee-ball in Dogma. Oh, really? Yep. And he's the Bond Company stooge in Life Aquatic with Steve Sussu. So oh. he's, he's sort of out there. And I think his career is basically predicated on directors of a certain age going, fucking Howard and Maud, man, get him in. <laughs> get, get him, him in. A paycheck. Just let him go. Because he's barely in this. He's barely in this. Uh, didn't
0: Tarantino famously, and I don't know if it was a slight say to Bruce Willis, that he was the 80s bud court? I think so. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that
1: know, is. I don't know if that's a... That's a probably. I don't know I'm that, not even sure what that means. That's a
0: shitty thing to say, that, that, in that. retrospect. After that little resume dive <laughs> in, I think that's a shitty thing to say. But... You know, this is, um, you know, this is one of those sort of inter- intermediate scenes in Heat where you're transitioning between two major pieces of mm. character art. Yeah, this
1: is all very interstitial. Uh, yes. But it goes to what I was talking about earlier, which is the, the fabric and the texture of the film. Because uh, what this scene does, apart from putting a few little plot elements in a play, uh, which are fairly subtle, um, is give you an idea of how the criminal world works. In in man's Maloo, which as far yes. as we can tell is, is pretty close to the real deal, like Man's verisimilitude, particularly in, in this piece, is just beyond reproach. So, um, you got Dennis Haysbert's character, fresh out of jail, um, you know, he's on parole, he's going to get a job because he wants to, and he wants to do the right thing. That is absolutely clear from a- his characterisation, his relationship with his wife, and he's and he's getting f- fucked right out of the gate. And he's
0: getting fucked right out of the gate, and there's no, um, what's so great and. So cold about Bud mm. Court's performance is that that this is, you know, call your guy because mm. this is how we do it. Yeah,
1: and there there is no give, there, <laughs> there is no human warmth, yes. there there is no understanding of like what it's like. To, although he may very well know what it's like to be fresh mm. out of jail, but but he is he's a predator. Yeah, um, and he's a he's a a bureaucratic tyrant. Clearly, and he's got a little bit of power, and he's using that as best he can to feather his own nest. And he gives zero about Dennis Haysbert Um, I wish you guys at home could see just the the still that we're stopped on because you've got Bud Court to the the left of frame just looking away working on whatever he's working on completely ignoring Dennis Haysbert who is just staring at this guy
0: and and there's something Looking
1: like my god, my life is in this asshole's hands and there's nothing I can do about it. And Haysbert's a really big dude, like he is like a head <laughs> taller than yeah. Bud but he's the power <laughs> relationship in this shot is unmistakable. Like it's really incredible.
0: And what's really cool also, so we're we're at forty two minutes on the button is the still where we're at. And uh, you know, Dennis Hayesbert is he's, he's a big he's an attractive man, he's he's got this gr- green colour, his gold chain there's there's a lot of sort of organic warmth about it and bud court even though he's working in a diner there's something very clinical like he's in a cu- he almost looks like he's in a lab coat he does have his 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 his, his, his uh, receding hairline is even menacing to a, to a certain point his eyes are down he barely like i, I think there's a, a a moment we've literally just skated past him. i think it would be in the 42nd minute is him sort of going Taking the moment to look around at Haysbert and go, well, "What? What are you waiting for? Yeah, are you still here? Are you yeah. still here? I've yeah. given you the spiel. Yep. Which that's, he's that's, he's yeah. he's he's literally and what's 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 disappointing, and and what you, uh, infers everything you need to know about Bud Court's character is that he's done it so many times he doesn't even need to look at you.
1: no <laughs> he, he knows. He he absolutely knows. And if you look at uh, Hazbert here, his shoulders are slightly hunched. Yes. Because okay, when he came in, he was like, I'm a great grill man. do this, knew that. has got swagger. Like, slap. Yep. Down. And, know your place. And
0: none of his physical power, and none of what I guess everything that he's learned mm, as his skill set. His skill set. It's there's no translating through this little bureaucratic shithole right here. It's just it's it's it's, it's he's going to be manipulated, and he has to suck it up, and that's. You know, he's, he's still going to be punished for his sins of going to jail for a long time after this, which is, is, is really a shame. Mm. And, you know, it's, it, 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 even the camera movement to there just goes and watches him and, he, and it's, it's not a quick cutaway. No, no, they,
1: they linger on yes. Hazbert uh, <laughs> and let you see what he's going through and see him accept the weight as well. You can see him sort of go, oh, okay, this is how yeah. it is and I have to go through this. Okay. And okay. I'm gonna do what I can, but Jesus. And,
0: and the purse lips is like, it's such a, okay, it's, uh, it's, it's like that. There's a great analogy we were talking about the wire for a completely unrelated reason off off mic. And uh, you know, um, K- Maya uh who some of you guys will know from Little Fing- as Littlefinger <laughs> in Game of Thrones, um, was talking to an old an old diplomat about what it's like to be the mayor of a town and particularly the mayor of Baltimore and he goes well what you ha- basically have to do is you get served a bowl of shit and every day you eat it and you smile and you tell everyone how good it tastes and that's the look on Dennis Haysbert's <laughs> face is that I've been given a bowl of shit and I'm going to continue to be given this bowl of shit while I'm working with this little petulant prick but no matter what's going to happen it's going to do it and I love this little some people I think find and maybe it's because you've watched it less or I don't know whether it, it just doesn't resonate with you, it doesn't jive with you if it's not really directly involved in the story. And as yet, we don't know how it's going to sort of piece into the story if you mm. haven't seen the film. But I love this vignette as a... And I think you t- talked about the fabric, the fabric of the very society that we live in yeah makes makes this world feel even more lived in when you see this interaction so much yeah. more. Because the reality is that even if these guys do go to jail... And even if they do get out, and even if they and do they, try and they, go straight... They,
1: they've served their stretch, and they've done their time. Done their time. They're still fucked. They're still fucked, and they're still marginalised. And um, it really illustrates the the stretch, the the, the penetration of the criminal monde. Yeah. Uh, the idea that this could be happening uh, anyway. in any diner, like, and you as a customer or a citizen wouldn't notice, and if you didn't notice, would you care? Okay, because we are kind of conditioned to brutalize criminals. <laughs> yes. Okay? And so this sets up some really interesting emotions because obviously we feel sorry for Dennis Haysbert. And when he does... We're allowed to talk about spoilers on this. Of course. Because the movie's like <laughs> ancient. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: 22, it's 22, 23, you're almost 23 years old. I think uh, okay, we've well, got license to talk about okay. any spoilers.
1: So w- when Haysbert does storm out and basically puts Bud court in his place, that's a great moment of triumph. But then, of course, Haysbert dies. And his wife is like, devastated and mm. you know, she is utterly destroyed by his death, uh, which is a result of him going back to the life of crime with Macaulay's crew. Um, but before that, he got this moment of triumph. You know, we, we, we understand his motivations completely. We understand absolutely why he's on this path, which leads to his death. Yes. Um, and obviously, you could argue that there were other choices he could have made, but they're not easy choices. Okay. And they're, and they're not
0: and the, I think one thing that's a motif in this film, which we'll eventually get to, and it's in a lot of Michael Mann's work, really, is the concept of time. Like, you know, I- even De Niro. Oh, time is luck. Yeah, is t- that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a
1: phrase that turns up in Miami Vice. Well.
0: Miami Vice too, and it's a and it's I think the origin point was even Thief. You know, mm. time ta- time is luck, and you know De Niro talks about his nightmare is drowning. And, he f- and he, if he doesn't wake himself up, he'll like die in his sleep. And so I feel like this kind of gives you that inference of like, there's no, there doesn't feel like that's ever going to end for Dennis Haysberts no, Donald no, Breeden that, here. That's
1: his life. Yeah.
0: That's his life now. And so at least he's making a bad. We know he's making a bad choice, and we know he's going to do something criminal, and we know that. But but for him, it's like, but but at least I know that if I do this job and I get away with it. I've done this job I've gotten away with it like it's like it feels like a even though I know that the the, the risk is so out, outlandish and it's so crazy for me to even jump in at this last minute
1: I've, 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 I've hoed my own row and yes. I've made my stand I've, I've made said, my this stand this is who I am this is what I do and so what's really interesting about the film um, is that it doesn't condemn Haysburg from a moral perspective he's no. not being punished for transgressing mm. he's effectively he, he's almost a tragic hero okay so his, his flaw is uh, i can't put up with this uh this disgrace this this uh, man, this daily grind under this arsehole bud court i'm sure you're a lovely dude <laughs> yeah, he's, he, and, uh, and and a very wow. good and a very good actor yeah <laughs> good an actor. excellent actor <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's sort of it's, it's his tragic flaw. He can't put up with this. Um, he goes on the job and he accepts the risk, and he knows the risk cause, like he's a professional. He wouldn't be in Macaulay's crew if he wasn't. No,
0: and okay. Macaulay wouldn't even not would, yeah. even consider him. And it shows almost how good he must have been mm. for him to walk up and go. I've got a job. I just saw you. Are you in or you out? I need an answer right now. And he's like, Oh, you mean oh, no, I'm cool. Like yeah. he just does it. It's a, yeah. it's a instant reflex and. After all the grind he puts all these other crew through and going through intermediaries to see him and go, yes, I want oh yeah, you, that guy. that guy. Yeah, it's it makes a, uh, it makes it's kind of interesting. It's mm. like now starting to really appear as you sort of get to yeah. examine this at and a close and level. That's
1: a great character beat. I mean, later on, you know, the yeah. idea that you can read into that interaction uh, yeah. what uh, Haysbird's character must mean to Macaulay, but uh, yeah, but the film doesn't condemn him uh, from a moral point of view. Okay, he's not uh, sewing. He's not reaping the, the rewards of, of sin. He's just, no. unfortunately, paying the cost of uh, life choices, um, which, in a way, is very stoic in the philosophical sense. You know, he, he made his choice, and he made his bed, and he sort of accepts it. And he accepts it. it. Um, um, unfortunately, his wife has left the deal. And, with the and she's so and incredible. Is, yeah.
0: She's such an incredibly strong... Um, presence in the movie for the short amount of time that she's in it. And, uh, yeah, I think
1: she gets like two scenes, maybe three. Yeah,
0: two to three. And she has to learn about his death on television.
1: Oh, that is tough. That, <laughs> is, that is tough. And they kind of draw that, there's a parallel because she's African-American with the African-American, uh, African-American mother of the prostitute who gets killed by Wayne Grove. Yes. And the display of grief and how similar that is. Yes. Um, so there's some commentary there about... Uh, the criminal justice system's impact on the African-American community, which is um, probably beyond the scope of our episode now, but (laughs) but it is worth reflecting on.
0: Yeah, and also, this is is an African hero that's done his time in prison and that's made some bad choices in 1995
1: in LA. Mm. Unfortunately... <laughs> Unlike Luke Cage, he isn't bulletproof. <laughs> no,
0: he's not bulletproof like Luke Cage. I mean,
1: we we shouldn't joke about that. But um yeah, like he you know, in in a sort of a more realistic Malou like Heat, uh yeah, when you stand up to the man and try and uh and stake out your own piece of uh of moral and personal territory, you occasionally get slapped down, um to a fatal degree. Yes. Which is which is what happens here.
0: We then move on to so after we're about 42 minutes and about 10, 11 seconds, we see Neil setting up. That um, was 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't this fun? This is incredible. <laughs> this is how good this movie is, 10 seconds. That's how many minutes? We're about 20 minutes into this episode. So that's this is a good amount of time, Trav. See, this is why this movie deserves this treatment. Not many movies could withstand it. No. And the, the fact that this movie can, and that we're like, well, we should probably move on because <laughs> we could go really fucking deep yeah, here. I could have
1: gotten another 20 out of it <laughs> Easily. I swear I could have.
0: Eas- <laughs> I have no doubt. I, I, you know, I think if we pulled the laptop here and went Googling, I think we'd go down <laughs> a fucking rabbit hole. Um, so we're at 42 minutes, about 18 seconds. We just see the the transition, the cut is, um, uh, you know, uh, the cut, Intentionally is pretty uh, grating because you're yeah. going from sort of darkness and 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 you know the complexion literally of Dennis Haysbert and the sort of darkness of the back of the kitchen to this sort of very glary outdoor LA afternoon ish.
1: Well, glary for a Michael Mann film. I mean, it, yeah. it's
0: still blue. <laughs> it's still blue. There's still grey. There's still the grey of the <laughs> the phone uh, even labelling says blue. There's still blue in the scene, but it's pretty um, pretty grating. And you've got this setup. This Great Roger Van Sands, William Fickner character who um, feels like he's about to put one over Neil Macaulay. And what's cool at the moment is, a- and before we even get to Van Sant, so let's see, that's 42 minutes, 32 seconds. We actually see Van Sands answer the, answer the call. Nick, uh, uh, Neil is dialing from the, the a payphone. What we kind of get from this bit, which I love in this like 20-second bit, is... We just think that Neil's at a payphone. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I love about this entire exchange. Just right out on Front Street, he's just at a payphone. He's just trying to be anonymous. He's just doing that cool thing that he does, making sure that there's no heat around the corner. He knows what he's doing. He's just at any old payphone. And in a previous minute, if you'd heard me talk about it with the Cinephiles boys, you would have heard me talk about the amazing sort of southern strength in Ashley Judd's character. Oh, yeah. The rare character, Charlene Chehalis, who stands up to Neil because there's not really anyone who
1: <laughs> seems their to... Their dynamic's st- incredible. Yes. Um, and Ashley Judd is uh, a great actor uh, who has An done incredible some incredible work actor. over the years. Um, and not as much recently, but I believe we know why now, thanks yeah. to the, the Weinstein revelations, uh, which is a bit shit because we lost so shit. much good work. Um or potential good work out of such a really strong performer. And a
0: bunch and a bu- a bunch of performers, but it also explains why you get performers like Judd, who is like a titan at the end of this movie. Mm. You know, she's standing toe to toe with Pacino and De Niro and
1: Her final scene with Kilmer on the balcony is oh, an all-timer yeah. like, that, uh, that gives me chills just <laughs> thinking about it it's, Oh my uh,
0: god that is, that is one of the greatest scenes in any film and you've got to look forward to Episode one hundred and thirty-one, I believe it is. As <laughs> <laughs> for us to get there, so you've got a few more episodes to go. But um, that is a, that is an incredible, an incredible scene. So we've got here Neil just on the phone doing his thing anonymously, um, sort of, and trying to blend in and call. We see that he's glancing somewhere else. And you don't know if he's sort of casing the place to sort of be observant and whatnot.
1: Yeah, just kind of being wary.
0: Wary, yeah, potential. Henry Rollins makes an appearance. Henry
1: Rollins comes rolling in.
0: 42 minutes, 50-odd
1: seconds, Henry
0: Rollins comes in.
1: In a, in a really nice black suit. Black um, suit. Over a, a black T-shirt. And possibly a turtleneck. Hold
0: on, let's, we've got to, let's definitely... That
1: camera must be low because Henry Rollins is quite short. He He is...
0: This is Henry Rollins at you know he lifted. Yeah. Oh my he, god, what like, a physical specimen. He,
1: this is thirties, Henry Rollins, like early thirties, right?
0: Yeah, have to yeah. be, right? Yeah, his, eight, yeah, ninety five. His
1: yeah. neck is wider than his head at this point. <laughs> he's that a big is unit. no longer the case. He's he, a big unit.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a he's a big unit at this time. And the other thing is it's kind of a high collar, not quite a turtleneck, it's a high collar, but man is clearly going, I want Henry Rollins in here for some texture, but if I bring him in in a tight T-shirt, he's going to yes, make everyone work. look tiny. So he's got him in a black shirt. The
1: screen left of Rollins is a headless, uh, looks like a Greek statuette, um, which almost perfectly matches <laughs> the colour scheme of <laughs> his suit. Like, it's missing a head. Yes. And Henry's head basically looks like a block of, like a photo negative of a block of wood. Yes. Um, it's kind of wonderful.
0: It is. And there's a, f- a couple of scenes in this film where... Uh, there's a sort of distracted someone behind a wheel in a car that sort of perfectly complements Justine walking down the stairs of her Art Deco home mm. on the left of Diane Venora's character, and I think they almost like share the same eyebrow technician because they're so perfectly attuned. So this one's <laughs> this one's great too, and so we hit we see Van Sant at this moment take a number he hands it off he's he's just you know he's he's right now at the moment he's a legitimate businessman william Fignett, right
1: also this is a uh, this is something that dates the film a payphones phones. Uh, b people smoking in an office environment
0: i oh, know i know and also those lovely green nec you know 12 inch monitors oh, <laughs> boxy monitors good Lord. and and graphs yeah oh, that's i don't mind the dating i know yeah.
1: oh, it's very it's the film is not intended to be timeless. It's very no. much intended to be a snapshot yeah. um, of, of a place and a time, and a milieu, so I'm aloof, so I'm cool with that. But but, it's just but that know, guy in the back, change.
0: but that guy in the background, forty two minutes fifty five seconds, does he look like the guy? And I and I'm and his name escapes me. So please jump in, Trevor, if you know. Is it the guy who starts to befriend Hans Gruber in Die Hard? Is that the same guy? It's not
1: the same guy, <laughs> but it, it's the same vibe. It's, it's, the, same
0: it's vibe. the same vibe. Shitty, greedy people is the vibe that we're getting from these guys. L.A. Yuppies. L.A. Yuppies. That's exactly right. And so and even the decor of the office. We talked about the the headless statue, and you've also there got a sh- really uh, uh, decadent sort of chair with zebra stripes yeah. on there as well it's yeah. a it's that r- kind of um splashy money uh, rich la office yeah.
1: v- very gouache very uh, very nouveau riche and like he, and he's looking But like you've hired someone to make it look expensive yes <laughs> yes exactly right make and it look classy we've
0: got we've got all this sheer metal put expensive looking things accoutrement yeah. around the place for sure but you know you can't exactly see it, even on this beautiful pristine Blu-ray. You can't exactly see what they're looking at there, as far as funds. But the first thing I think of is offshore accounts. Mm. You know, he's he's a guy. He's he's keeping a he's keeping abreast of um, stock levels, etc. But also, given
1: man's attention to detail, I would be really curious for someone who knows what they're talking about because I can't run my finances, otherwise I wouldn't be a film critic, <laughs> uh, to take a look at the data on those screens and tell me how accurate that is. Like, surely someone can kind of zoom in and go, oh, yeah, that means this, and because this was shot on this day in 1995 or 1994, it's it, pro- means it is means prob- It's
0: probably like a, a legit snapshot Would of the markets me. of that day.
1: Yeah, wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. No,
0: it wouldn't surprise me at all either. Um, but, yeah, this is a kind of, and again... He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to go in necessarily to these characters as much. But William Fichtner's doing an a, incredible sort of cold performance. He's not a cold dude. He's actually quite a lively uh, character actor, very expressive. Yeah, and F- in this performance,
1: a really interesting dude. He like he's played a lot of arseholes in his time, mm. and a lot of villains. Uh, every so often, he gets to be a good guy, uh, like in Armageddon. Yes, yeah, um, great guy in Armageddon. Uh, contact with jody foster oh he is, and he's the um the blind the blind guy yeah. who
0: listens to the sound yeah. he's incredible in contact so
1: good so good uh but then you know we're used to seeing him as uh you know the the mob bank manager in, in dark, dark Knight, night which I, I know has come up before um he was butch cavendish in the lone ranger where he, actually he was <laughs> cut out and ate the Lone Ranger's brother's heart, which I thought was a bit <laughs> much for a Disney movie, but you do you, guys. You, you do, do you, Galvabinsky. You do you. <laughs> Emphasis on the gore for that one, hey? Uh, but no, no, he's a great character actor, and I'm always happy to see him.
0: Yeah, I'm always happy to see him too. He's, you know, and can do can really do anything here. But he just seems, you know, cold and bored and casual. I think that's the other thing about him here. In the first scene, when you know Hugh Benny, who is Henry Rollins' character, is a guy who clearly has his ear to the ground. Mm. And even in the, well, are you going to deal with these guys? Like, they're clearly, in in retrospect, you can look back at him going, are you going to deal with these guys? As in, are you going to deal with these guys who just took assault rifles and robbed a <laughs> um, an armor car in broad daylight and yeah. escaped the police? Are you going to deal with these guys? And he's like, yeah, I'll just deal with them. That's fine. And he's so flippant. Mm. It's just so,
1: you know. It strikes me as a character who keeps himself fairly well insulated from the more violent uh, realities and outcomes of of what he does for a living. Absolutely. Like, he... uh, I imagine in his public life um, he would be very respectable. Yes. Um, But...
0: But the fact that he has Hugh Benny hanging he's around. He's got
1: Hugh Benny there to go out and, and do this shit for him. Yes. Uh, which is really interesting.
0: But it's it's cool in retrospect to see him go, are you going to deal with these guys? Like, mm. are these the kind of guys
1: that you want to deal with? Yeah, are you with? sure we really want to go to the mat on this one? Yeah. And he's like,
0: yeah. No, this is yeah. this is normal. And yeah. I, what's cool is, I think in Roland's performance, and again, there's 70, uh, I think I've said it many times, but there's 70 odd speaking roles in Heat. Mm. And, and not all and like bud court we just saw as one of those 70 speaking roles and he's a terrific actor in his own right and he just pops up for like 10 seconds and you so you see Rollins. you don't some of these fringe characters unless you take a focus on them you don't see but now i keep thinking about Hugh benny and going you really want to deal with these guys like i want to go back and watch his inflection in that scene as in to see how you're going to deal with these like this is a bad idea. <laughs> this is not a good idea. Rollins'
1: performance is really interesting because this is sort of early on in his sort of acting run. Yes. Um, and he's not as comfortable as he became later. Like no. he's pretty good. Like I, I'm not bagging the dude out. And Mr. Rollins, if you're listening, love you. Uh, and please, don't. Hit this us. is a
0: formal invitation right now to yeah, come onto this be. show.
1: Come and be on one heat. <laughs> I interviewed him once. Really? Yeah, yeah. When he was doing his spoken word. Oh. When I was working for Express Magazine in Perth. And so I got to get on the blower with um. The great Henry Rollins, who is Amazing. polite as fuck, is what I really took <laughs> away from that. He was like, I will answer every question faithfully and honestly, let's go. And I'm like, okay, cool. Really nice dude, uh, but very formal, very restrained. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a really interesting uh, character in this. And I find it interesting that um, you got Henry Rollins in this, and later on we've got Tone Loke. Yes. Uh, Henry Rollins is from the L.A. punk scene. Tone Loke's a, a rapper. Uh, so the two sort of musical guest stars, if you will, <laughs> yes. are both from very strong countercultural musical backgrounds. Yes, okay. It's not like pop stars; I haven't gotten in anyone really obvious. No, you know, uh, they're they're guys who are very much part of different fringe subcultures. Even though that stuff became very popular in the nineties, yeah, Rights of grunge, yeah. gangster rap, and blah blah blah. But they're very much positioned um, as sort of. Uh,
0: Outlaws, if you will, and and th- these outlaw guys, because they do both play these guys who've got their ear to the ground in the streets. I think that you totally see Michael Mann going. I want a guy who knows people like this. Hmm. Or I, want, I want a guy. I, w- I want a guy who has been around this sort of hardcore stuff. I want. I want someone who can deliver this and make it effortless. Because he he talks about even something like, you know, one of the. Michael Mann is famous for sort of imposing method, method acting uh, um, mm. uh, practice yeah. on on his different performers, and like Will Smith trained for 13 months as a professional fighter. Mm. As well, Tom as Cruise
1: <laughs> literally killed people. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> no, he didn't. But <laughs> well, considering sure. he just learned how to fly a helicopter, uh, I wouldn't uh, put it past him. Uh,
0: <laughs> The, the world's biggest movie star. I love me some Tom Cruise. But but not just because of Michael Mann's great film, Collateral, but Will Smith, for 13 months, trained as a fighter because Michael Mann said, look, when you watch a boxer so, and a person who can really fight, they walk differently to other people. Yeah, for sure. And there's something about this of like, these guys have just got a natural swagger or something. There's this intangible something that they can just bring along and you go, oh, that's Henry Rollins. So, oh, that's Tony yeah. like But Tone like it's like you forget about it. just that gravelly voice. That bo- I don't know, they've both just got this
1: something, this extra little
0: something that just gives you this, you know, oh, we're just yeah, going to seasoning it's in th- the scene.
1: It's not gimmick casting. No. I think that's the thing. Uh, I think it's not, with a, it's with it's a not Rihanna in Battleship. Let's yeah, <laughs> but with, with a different <laughs> director. Which is funny because uh, who directed? Pete uh, Berg. Yeah, because he was man's protege. Protege. And now look where we are. Jesus Christ, Berg, get it together. <laughs> um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's great!
1: Oh god, did you see Lone Survivor? What a garbage film! Oh, anyway,
0: I actually didn't mind Lone Survivor, but I did. Uh, I did like his. Uh, what did you say? Uh, oh, Deepwater Horizon. Deepwater Horizon. Yeah, that's a great film. Ra- I really, really like that, really that, that film
1: that too. Is, that is rock solid. Rock solid too. Mm.
0: Yeah, and and Patriots Day is. Four-fifths of a rock-solid film and My has one-fifth of... Ugh.
1: My big problem with Patriot's Day is that Marky Mark, um, he'll always be Marky Mark to me, mm. uh, is playing a, a fictional character, a gestalt, so that yes. he could be in basically every scene, every stage. An amalgamation of, of two yeah. or three characters, and it's yeah. almost
0: like it would have been really cool to see how those two or three characters, even if they uh, you know, used their dramatic license to converge them... Mm. By the end of the film to see it, it would be interesting to see how they played out.
1: To me, it it just sort of comes across as grandstanding, and they kind of they have to kind of jump through a couple hoops to position Marky's character. So it's like he's a detective who's been busted down the uniform, so he can be there for this scene, so that he can be up in the command center for the the ongoing investigation, the hunt for the bombers, and blah blah. And I'm like. This doesn't sit well with me. It's not a total deal-breaker. I don't think it ruins the film, no. but it gives it a, a, it's, it's a bum note, which I think affects and everything around it.
0: Yeah, and uh, Deepwater Horizon just doesn't have... It doesn't miss a beat. No. You just fly in, bang, 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 bang.
1: And it's got Kurt Russell. Kurt, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and everything's better, better with, with Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell.
0: I agree. I agree. The final five seconds... Oh, my God. ...of this minute. We see Neil back. Now, in the first moment that we've seen Neil glancing away there's a chance that he's been Just scanning
1: the area scanning
0: the area. but the fact uh, you know there's a lot of significance in different match cuts and they're not obvious in in the film but the fact that we come back and cut to him almost exactly in the same position that we've left him mm. is very it, it's it 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 gives you such an intent that no, yeah, he's 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 somewhere,
1: and he's looking at something. And he's Reinforces looking at something. meaning. This is yeah. not a, an idle shot. This no. isn't just filler or coverage.
0: No, and so you get one, and he's looking you get a back. A reverse shot. A reverse shot, and the reverse shot closes out the minute. Bam, bam.
1: What the, a f- what a film. What, what a. a, f- what a <laughs> film. I just watched a minute of heat, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm like, holy Christ! What a film. What it's a film, and the and craft. The sheer filmmaking craft on display in one goddamn minute.
0: And this isn't even one of the big minutes.
1: <laughs> well, remember, I said, don't give me any of the big no. minutes. I said, don't give me anything from the coffee shop. And don't give no. me anything from, from the gunfire <laughs> the at, the ro- at the bank robbery. No. G- give me some random thing we can dig into. Yes. And we will make, we will make gold out of this straw. <laughs> but it's not straw. It's already gold. It's already it's gold. It's amazing. But it's,
0: it's, I think, in a movie that has... And this is what, uh, where I'm starting to savour. It. I don't know. I, I don't know about you, Trav, but it's the same uh, thing I find with like really blindingly great albums, mm. is they might have a couple of rip roaring tracks, and those are the tracks that, and like the showcase scenes everyone in this film yeah. that everyone remembers because they're the catchiest or whatever. And then what happens if you're a bit of an album obsessive and you like to sort of hear an album on repeat? These things start to emerge. It's like they. The,
1: the, the Leap yeah, yeah.
0: The these other tracks just that you realise that they're the scaffolding that hold the damn thing together and make it a great album and it's this, that's what makes it such a great film is because these little scenes if you're thinking about I need you to tell me your top five scenes in Heat well you're probably not going to say the Donald Breeden scene just off the top of your head yeah. but I think that now that I keep talking about it I'm like well that's such a pivotal it's such a pivotal scene for me about the entire the entire ethos of this uh, michael mann uh, film yeah. i just i I'm, it's amazing
1: the take especially for any uh, nascent filmmakers who might be listening is that every minute counts which sounds like a real sort of trite glib thing to say but um you see it a lot in in emerging filmmakers where particularly in genre like i'm a big horror head really yes. enjoy horror movies and a lot of people yeah. who fund their own horror movies um, and go out and make it, and and I always respect that because if you are going to go out and make a, a work of art, then bless you, sir, yeah. or madam, or miss, or whatever. Uh, but they concentrate on, you know, the gotcha moments, the big gore set pieces, mm-hmm. the kills, or whatever, and everything else—characterization, plot, tone, theme—is just. The necessary grind to get to the bits they want to do, yes, and that is absolutely the wrong approach to filmmaking and storytelling. Okay? Yes. everything counts. and if it doesn't count, don't do it.
0: And there are so many films that you watch that even from more accomplished filmmakers as they're coming up, or emerging filmmakers, that you think this is a two hour film. Mm. There are things that are non-essential that could have been cut, that don't serve a purpose. And like I think right from the outset, Someone might go, "Oh, the Donald Breeden scene doesn't mean anything," or oh, you no, know, it it it, and and I would argue, no, it's so important, and it's so, but it's just it's just sort of slipped in there because the momentum of the film is continuing to build. It's just slipped in in a perfect way that it, it, it's unobtrusive around other things that are happening, and the, and the importance doesn't emerge until you really need that key emotional cleanse at the end of the frenetic crazy gunfight and so uh, i look at this and i'm like exactly like you said the craftsmanship of this village of people that created this film and uh, with michael Mann, you know so obsessively focused on exactly what he needed to deliver is just masterful and just yeah, blows me away there's
1: nothing wrong with a long movie no yeah, and heat is a long movie but it earns every minute but so does lawrence of arabia yeah and so does seven samurai and yeah and so on and so forth and the problem uh, we're getting these days, particularly um, as streaming TV takes off, mm. is we're getting this idea that length uh, is its own merit, uh, which is fine in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not true for, say, no. the Marvel Netflix shows. No way. Most of which could lose about four goddamn hours. Uh, four episodes. Yeah. Just, you know, uh,
0: do an eight-episode season. Yeah. True Detective. Oh,
1: yeah. True Detective had eight episodes. Well, so did defenders, and that could have been—that <laughs> could have been six, as far as <laughs> possibly four. four, possibly a movie, possibly yes, a two-hour m- movie. movie. Yes, uh, but yeah, length is not its own merit. Okay, it is not its own virtue. Um, you've got to, as I, I, I'm repeating myself, now, but you have got to earn every minute. And Heat is a movie which absolutely does, which is what makes this project fascinating <laughs> and so much fun to be a part of. <laughs>
0: Travis, thank you so much for being part of this. And I know Travis already said he's coming back for another minute, guys. He won't be the next couple, but there's one coming up which he'll be on. So thank you so much uh, for listening. I've been Blake Howard. Here's Travis Johnson. Trav, where can they find you and all of your stuff?
1: Okay, so filminc.com.au. I am the news editor, and uh, I write a lot of stuff for them. But I, I never stop writing, so you can also find me on uh, whiskey.com. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at uh, Celluloid Whiskey. Uh, whiskey with a Y on that one because I ran out of letters. Um, and, you know, if you're feeling really brave, follow me on Facebook. Because Facebook's my, way fun. My, Facebook's Facebook my favorite is a party.
0: It is a party. <laughs> it's my favorite place to find Trav. If I'm having a terrible day at the day job, I'm going straight into Facebook. and finding out what's happening in Trav's Facebook page. It's always great. Look, and... Uh, uh, a massive compliment to two huge guests that have been on the show one being Mr. Gar Franklin and Travis is that these guys output is just staggering and impressive and uh, they are they are their own uh, their own armies of men in one man so um, much <laughs> much respect um, guys thank you so much for listening and subscribing and rating and reviewing One Heat Minute um, I am Blake Howard you can always find me at oneheatminute.com or at Blake is Batman on Twitter I'm freelancing around the place at the moment um, more than I am Normally at graffiti with punctuation, so um, you can just find me on the twitters. That's where I'll be. Um, thank you to Gar Franklin for our web design. Thank you Paul Davies for our music, and uh, thank you again, Trav, for being part of one e minute. Well, guys, we'll catch you next week. Cheers.